0: the prophet Isaiah this morning for the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. And uh, as you turn to that, as you find that in your Bibles, I want to commend this book to you once more, this book that we've been selling. From next Sunday onwards, we're going to have a bookstall available at church, a Christmas bookstall with uh, books for yourself for Christmas and other books that you might want to give as gifts for people. If you haven't yet picked up this book, next week might probably be your last chance. I think there's just uh, a few copies of this left. It's called The Character of Christ, The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Our Savior. And um, For my money, the chapter in here on gentleness is worth uh, the price of the book. It's so good. It's basically what you're getting this morning. Uh, but please do pick that up and read it. Uh, you will enjoy it hugely. I want to commend that to you. Isaiah 42, and I'm only going to read to verse 9 of this chapter. This is the Lord speaking to his servant. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Amen. Well, it's true, isn't it, that introductions are everything. Introductions are everything. When somebody says to you, David, I want you to meet my good friend, Stephen, or whoever it is, I take notice because of the introduction. I take notice because of who it is, says I want you to meet my friend. Although, of course, there's then that terrible moment, isn't there? That fog that sets in when you've no idea who it is they've actually introduced you to. You forget their name. Some of you live with that trauma every single Sunday, don't you? Week by week in here. I know I know you, and it's too late to ask your name again. It's, it's what we all live with. Why, why are names so hard to remember in introductions? I don't know. But when someone you know and someone you love, somebody that you are close to, wants you to meet someone else that they are close to, it's not just the same as meeting a stranger, is it? That there is a recommendation and a commendation built into it. See, if the first minister of Scotland took you by the arm or the king took you by the arm and at a dinner party said, look, there's somebody I really want you to meet, Well, you you sit up and take notice, don't you? I'd be interested. Friends, this morning, we are here to meet someone. We are here to meet someone. There, There is somebody God wants to introduce us to. See that opening word of Isaiah 42? Behold, look, here he is, my servant. Look at him. That the one whom I uphold, God says, the one I'm putting on a pedestal, I'm, I'm turning all eyes and attention to him. Here is somebody you have to meet. And you see, when somebody does that to you at a dinner party, tugs your arm and pulls you off to the side and says, I want you to meet somebody, there's there's a reason why they want you to meet them. There's something about this person that they think, ah, this person needs to meet that person. You'll love this person. There's something I love about them. You'll love it too. Do you know why God wants to do that to you this morning with this person? Do you know why he wants to introduce this servant to us? Because of how gentle they are, because of how gentle they are. Gentleness. I want you to see this morning how beautiful gentleness is. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, haven't we, this series that we've been in, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we've been saying all the way through it that these things are the fruit of Christ's Spirit, And we've been saying that they're the Spirit's fruit because these are the things that He does in our lives to change us to be like Him, to to show us Christ's stunning character. Christ is loving, patient, peaceful, kind, good, faithful, and Christ is gentle and what he gives to us, what Christ gives to us, that the way a parent shares their DNA with a child and the way a child is formed in a mother's womb and so the child comes out and grows up to be like the mother. That's what Paul says in Galatians 4, isn't it? I want Christ to be formed in you. Christ's life can be born in you today. It can, can grow in you. You can have more and more and more of Christ and less and less and less of you. That's what we want, isn't it? And one of the things you can have if you have more and more of Christ is gentleness. Gentleness. But you know, in all the fruit of the Spirit, I think there's something different about gentleness. There's something different about it, I think, from all the other fruits, something that at the very least is really striking about it, something that many readers of the Bible have pointed out before me, and it's this. Of all the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness is the only one that the Lord Jesus explicitly attributes to himself. Did you know that? of all the fruit of the Spirit, is the only one where the Lord Jesus says, that is me. Matthew chapter 11, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus' own description of what he's like, the only place in the Bible where, if we can put it like this, Jesus says, "Let, let me tell you about my heart. When he does, he says, I am gentle and lowly. Somebody has said that the about button, the about button on a website describing Jesus would just have one drop-down option, gentle and lowly. And so this is a beautiful passage. I want you to meet the Lord Jesus, my servant God is saying. We're going to let God introduce him to us this morning by telling us two things about him. And then I'm going to try and put those two things into a third thing. And I'll, I'll give you the first two, because I'm still even not quite sure how to word the third one. We'll see how we go as we go along. Number one, look, look what he will do. And number two, look what he won't do. I hope there's fruit here this morning that you'll want to taste and, and grow and share with others. Look what the servant will do. See, the, the, this servant in Isaiah 42, he has one job to do, one job. God upholds him. You see what God says about him? Literally, literally that word uphold, God says, I've got him in my hand. I grip him. I hold him fast. He's mine. He's safe. He's chosen by me. God delights in him. God delights in him with all his heart and God puts his spirit on him. And because of that, this servant has one central task. Do you spot it? It's there in verse one. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Look at verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, until he has established justice in the earth. It's always helpful, isn't it, to have a job description given to you in advance. The successful applicant for this job, it reads, will be such and such, and they will do such and such. The, the, The person you're meeting says God, verse 1, will bring justice to the nations. Verse 3, will bring justice. Verse 4, he will establish justice on the earth. Now, here is a gigantic task, a mammoth undertaking. See, you and I normally think about justice in in narrow terms, don't we? The, The court of the land dealing out A decision that the judge awarding damages, punishing the guilty, freeing the innocent. But here, this word justice is more than that. It's so much bigger that the word justice means the order that God has given to the whole world, the order that God has placed on the whole universe. This word justice means everything in its right place in the right way, at the right time, for the right people. This man will bring about a perfect people in a perfect society, in a a perfect earth. See, look look at the second half of verse 4. He will establish justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Other translations say, in him the islands will put their hope. See, this servant, this man, will have words to speak. He will reveal what is really true. And when he speaks, what he says will be right. And it will be right in all the earth, for all people, in all places, at all time. It's an astonishing scope, isn't it? What do you think when it rolls up to election time and you hear politicians pulling down the other party and lifting themselves up and saying, this is what I will do. We've had however many years of austerity and ruin and everything's awful, but vote for me and all will be well. What happens to you in your mind and heart? What would you think if one of those leaders said, I promise not just to fix Scotland, but to fix the entire earth. I promise to right the world and in my words the very coastlands of the earth will put their hold see think about these words it's not fair it's not fair when was the last time you heard that some of you heard it this morning some of you are going to hear it this evening by the end of the day. We, we go through phases, don't we? I think most families at some point, if you're going to put up, you know those things that families get a, a family coat of arms, you get the nice picture and the name and then the family motto underneath. Most of us go through phases where the family motto would be, it's not fair. We all know our rights, don't we? We all know what we, what, what we deserve and everybody else is trampling all over it. When was the last time you said it's not fair? Or when was the last time you felt it's not fair? I want you to meet someone, God says, this servant, the Lord Jesus, someone, someone who is going to change that feeling you have and change it forever. And not just for you, for all the earth. All the earth will come to know him. What a task What he says, people on the farthest reaches of the globe will come to love. Do you know that? Do do you believe that this morning? That because of this person that God says I want you to meet, worldwide transformation is possible. Worldwide transformation is possible. Look look at your TV screens. the, The sheer devastation and carnage the war in Palestine and Gaza. Is worldwide transformation possible? You know, there's a story during World War II. There's a remote South Sea islander in the Pacific, and he proudly showed his battered Bible to an American soldier, an American GI, thinking that because you're American, you'll, you'll love this book. You'll, you'll love that I love this book. The South Sea Islander shows the American soldier his battered Bible, and the soldier looked down his nose with disdain at the islander. We've grown out of all that, buddy, he said. The islander smiled and says, Well, it's a good thing we're growing into it, because otherwise you would be my food. (laughs) Worldwide transformation. Transformation. The islands, the coastlands, the the remotest places of the earth, trusting the servant. I want you to meet my servant, says God. There's somebody you need to meet, the Lord Jesus. He will bring my perfect rule to the farthest corners of the globe. His words will transform men and women and boys and girls and homes and cities and cultures. Do you see what verse 4 is saying? Even Aberdeen one day. As these words are spoken, nobody knew Scotland even existed. And here we are, loving his law, waiting for his law, trusting him. It's all because what he speaks will be so good, so true, so right, so beautiful. See, that this word justice, it, it means the kind of once-for-all decisive clarity that decides something absolutely in absolutely the exact, the exact right way. It's, it's the equivalent of Uh, The video referee in cricket or rugby, you know what happens? The the umpire sees something and he's not sure if he's 100% right. Did the ball brush the leg? Was the ball properly grounded for a try? And we go to the video referee who has six screens in front of him. Perfect sight, perfect hearing. He watches it from every possible angle. He has all the information to hand. He has all the knowledge needed to make the decision and he makes the decision once and for all, and everybody can see it on the screen, and the crowd are happy. Justice has been done. Harmony is restored. I have someone who will do that, says God. I want you to meet him. Friends, here's an even richer way of seeing this. Not just look what he will do. Secondly, look what he won't do. Look what he won't do. Number two. I want you to look at verses two and three. <clears throat> Put your eyes on those verses. There are seven negatives, seven things which contrast, don't they, so starkly with all the ways we normally see leaders operating. He will not cry aloud. He will not lift up his voice. He will not make it heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not quench a faintly burning wick. And look at verse 4, he will not falter. He will not be discouraged. Even before we look at the details of it, isn't it beautiful? It's, it's the person who God wants to introduce you today, his, his chosen one, his CEO of the universe. These verses say you always, always know where you stand with him. There, there are things he will do, and there are things he won't do. Look at the verbs in verse 2, crying aloud, lifting, making it heard. Those verbs say that this servant is not self-assertive. He's not out to startle you. He's not out to dominate you or, or to shout others down. He's not out to advertise himself. This servant has a ministry that is quiet, unaggressive, unthreatening. Look how it builds, verse 3. He will not break a bruised reed. Do you know what that, mean? do you know what that means? He, he will never, ever be dismissive of the kind of people everybody else is dismissive of. However useless or beyond repair they seem to be, you know, bru- something's broken, chuck it in the bin. No, no, says this servant, here, bring it here, let me see it, let me hold it, and he takes it in his hands. No, I, I, I can do something with this. He will not snuff out the smoldering embers, however past it, however near extinction somebody feels that they are. I'm living right on the edge. This servant will never call time. He'll never say to somebody, you've had it. You're yesterday's man or woman. Look how comprehensive it is. A bruised reed, the, the bent piece of grass that is broken. Well, I think that's something pointing to someone that has suffered internal damage. The, the smoldering wick lacks external nourishment of air, doesn't it, and oil to keep going. Internal pain and external lack. And my servant, says God, my servant is competent enough To cure and to apply himself to both of those things. And verse 4, friends, see it again. He will not fail. He will not faint from overexertion with you. He doesn't get tired of you. All down through history, isn't it true? We see it again and again. Might is right. Those who shout the loudest are obeyed the quickest. Violence meets violence. And to our shame, is it not true? Christians have, at certain points, tried to establish Christian rule with force, with the sword. No, says God and His servant, that is not the way. It cannot be right when you see My servant's ministry. I want you to keep a finger in Isaiah 42. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, please. Page 817. Page 817, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15. Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verse 15. The Lord Jesus, aware of this, aware that people were beginning to conspire to remove him, destroy him, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. See, here in Matthew's gospel, the Lord Jesus has healed all their sick. Everyone who's come to him, he has healed them. He's turned nobody away. And yet he has warned them not to tell who he is, that there is no self-advertisement and there is no war on Rome the occupying force in the land. No, instead of those things, there is only the quietly beautiful spreading of God's righteous, glorious, holy rule on the earth. And the sick are being healed and the edges of darkness are being pushed back and back and back. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to say this to us. More than an introduction to this man, more than an introduction to him, there is an invitation to him as well. Just put your eyes back on chapter 11 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. See, what would it be like if the greatest person in, in the land introduced you to one of the people that they think is the greatest person and that great person says, do you know what, here's my number. Call me any time. What what does the Lord Jesus say? Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to introduce you to the most gentle person in the universe, and when you meet him, what does he do? he invites you, come, come to me. Dane Ortlund says, this teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but his open arms. That is his heart, open arms. I want to ask you this morning, do you feel trodden on, trampled on, walked all over like a piece of grass? People haven't even noticed you. You are a flickering flame of life. You only have left this morning a flickering flame of love for Jesus. Nobody knows it, but the fire is nearly out. The flickering flame of love for others is all that's left. Your faith sometimes feels almost non-existent. It's it's like the fire in your living room in the middle of the night. You come in at 3 a.m. and it's just a tiny little, tiny, barely shining coal still burning. Internally damaged, externally deprived. Do you see what God is saying to us about the Lord Jesus? Jesus. He never, ever comes close to you and says, I I told you so. Not, Not again. He never lectures, never says, look what you've done now. No piercing sword, no great white steed, always only the words we need no shouting voice, no enforced surrender, always only a touch so tender. No harsh command, no crushing weight, always only love so great. See, see, gentleness, this is not my definition, somebody has said it like this, gentleness is handling something appropriate to its nature. Treating something the way it is meant to be treated, that's gentleness. You know what happens in Royal Mail? You, you go to put a, something in the post that's really breakable and you get a big sticker and you put the sticker on the top of the box, fragile handle with care. Now, I, I need to tell you, friends, as somebody who spent a summer once working in the Royal Mail, that that label, fragile handle with care, does not mean fragile handle with care. Packages are treated the exact opposite, because it says, "Fragile, handle with care." It's a real shock to you to discover that. Let me assure you, for uh, an industry with a lot of young men working in it, reading a sign saying, "Fragile handle with care," it's equivalent to saying, "Wet paint, do not touch." We, we were not gentle with packages that said, "Be gentle." you see for us as human beings to be fallen people finite people sinful creatures it means that all of us this morning we have a fragile handle with care label somewhere on us somewhere on us we're carrying that label fragile handle with care we we have it tattooed on us because we're human beings Oh, we, we cover it up, sure, with clothes and labels and roles and degrees and power and prestige, but friends, pretty soon, one way or another, the harsh realities of life find us, don't they? One way or another, all of us. And other people, the world, illness, conflict, problems, all of those things you know pay no attention to a label saying, fragile, handle with care. Life just grabs us and tosses us around, right? You know that. I know that. But, but God is saying, look, that, that's why I want to introduce you to my servant, my son. That's why himself the Lord Jesus says, come to me. Because l- l- let's put it like this. When he sees a fragile handle with care label. It does not ignite in him the desire to do the opposite that happens to sinful people. No, no, to him, a fragile label he will not ignore. A bruised reed he will not break. What, What you find as you come to Jesus, well, we sing it often, don't we? In his hands he gently bears us. He won't stomp all over you. He won't push you down further and leave you in the dust. No, he he will be gentle with you. Uh, in, in that book that I mentioned, Jonathan Landry Cruz's book, The Character of Christ, he's a lovely illustration. He says, think about a newborn baby. And he says... Some people are drawn to a newborn baby, and some people are threatened by a newborn baby. They're threatened by fragility. Have you ever tried to hand a newborn baby to a 13-year-old boy? You know, they kind of lock their arms. They go completely rigid, holding the baby, squeezing it. Because they're terrified, they'll break it. They, they, they're scared of the fragility. They don't know how to handle it. And yet others, of course, are like a magnet. I want to hold it. I want to hold it close. They're, they're drawn to fragility. Landry Crew says, that is how Christ feels about you and I. When he sees it, he comes near to it, not away from it. One Puritan theologian said, he will not only not break, and he will not only not quench but so much more he will cherish those with whom he so deals. So here, here's the third thing. I want to finish with this. Here's how I'm going to try putting it, okay? This is, this is the risk in the sermon. True gentleness is the combination of what he will do and what he won't do. True gentleness is the combination of the things the servant will do, and the things that he won't do. I want you just to have Isaiah 42 open in front of you again. Notice in Isaiah that the gentleness of Jesus, in verse 2 and 3, the gentleness of Jesus is not the soppiness of Jesus. Do you notice that? The Jesus of verses 2 and 3 is the one who rules the nations by his law. His rule extends to the ends of the earth. The the gentleness of Christ in verses two and three, in the middle, is sandwiched in verses one and four with his iron rod, his rule. So I want to put it like this, friends. Gentleness is the combination of someone who knows how to bring justice but in a tender way. Gentleness comes from strength, Gentleness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Listen, here's how somebody has put it. Meekness is the virtue that restrains the onslaught of anger. Meekness is the virtue that restrains the onslaught of anger. The gentle man is the man who is completely in control of his anger. The gentle Christian is the one who has authority over their hot emotions, uh, the one who has power in their hands or anger or righteous indignation in their heart, but who reigns over it, who knows how to channel it and how to direct it and how to put justice to use for tender ends. Gentleness is not the absence of power, but the proper use of it. Friends, this morning, if you have strength in your body, physically, mentally, spiritually, you have might, and you have abilities, and you have resources, let me ask you, do you spend those things only on the fellow strong? Or do you ever spend yourself on the weak, the broken? See, gentleness is the South African forward, the World Cup rugby winner who holds the cup aloft in one hand. He's won the World Cup through the sheer physical strength of his arm, and in the other arm, he's holding his six-week-old baby. The the, the strength that has conquered and vanquished is now being used to nourish and care. Friends, are, are fragile people drawn to you? Do do they know that with you they're safe, your strength will be for them, not against them? Or are they fearful of you? And, friends, more than being gentle, do you notice Jesus says in Matthew 11, gentle and lowly. The great one, the so high up one, came down so low. See, it's one thing, isn't it, to handle with care, one thing to be gentle with something fragile, but it is another thing to associate yourself with the fragile thing and to become wonder of wonders like the fragile thing yourself. Oh, I I, I cannot take it in that one so high would be so lowly for me, for you that he would come that close to us, and as he comes close to handle us gently, I want to ask you this morning, do you ride a high horse? Gentleness is found near the ground, isn't it? Listen, listen to a man called F.B. Mayer. He said this, I used to think God's gifts were on the shelves, one up above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach and take God's gifts. Now I find that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath the other. And that it isn't a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. And that we have to go down, always down, to get God's best gifts. In Christian service, the branches that bear the most fruit hang the lowest. So true, isn't it? This fruit, friends, gentleness... He's found really, really low. Do you remember how wise Jesus was? He hears his disciples arguing about which of them is the greatest. Like King Solomon, who knew how to take a human person and make a visual aid out of it, what does Jesus do? He hears the disciples arguing. He gets a child and puts a child in the middle of them and says, okay, take care of that child then. True greatness is caring for the weak, Spending yourself on the week for the week. Have you ever done that, friends? Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do you know, it's very easy to associate with the lowly. It's very easy. Just, friends, one one week, two weeks, three weeks, just sometimes, just tweak where you sit in church. Just change it. Move to a different seat and you will associate with the lowly. You can, you can make yourself do it. Come close to somebody. If you learn from Jesus, that's what he says, isn't it, Matthew 11, come to me and learn from me. You'll find that you have a magnetic pull towards the weak. You'll find yourself, wonder of wonders, putting your arms around them and feeding them and inviting them. And so do you know where gentleness grows? As I finished, do you know where gentleness grows? It, it grows, doesn't it, in the soil of God's own gentleness to me, God's own gentleness to you. To you, you can't see other people's fragile labels unless you know you're wearing one You've got one tattooed on you somewhere. Unless you know your own heart and how the Lord Jesus has been to you, a a proper sense of your own sin will make you handle with care the sinful and the weak and the sorrowing. Jonathan Edwards said, the Christian man who is touched by his need and his infirmity offers the firmest comfort to others, because he has the softest heart. He is richer than others, but he is poorest of all in spirit. He is the tallest and the strongest saint, but he is the least and tenderest child among them. It's quite a thought, isn't it? To be like the Lord Jesus, we need to be gentle. To be like the Lord Jesus, we need to be lowly. And how astonishing that he, the Great One, The great one should be our servant. So let's worship him together.